out there, and welcome back to the GamecockScoop.com podcast, the official podcast of GamecockScoop.com on Rivals. I'm Caleb, joined by Alan. Feeling a little bit better with the hand. Those of you that uh, watched last week, I um, that was right before I had surgery. So now I've had surgery, and we're doing good. Um, but yeah, so kind of a interesting week in South Carolina athletics. We still got men's basketball portal things happening. Obviously, we're going to talk about last weekend uh, that ended a little early in Dallas for women's basketball. And we're still in the midst of spring practice and a lot of recruiting visits. Um, as usual, we'll start off talking a little recruiting. Honestly, there's like so much happening right now. <laughs> um, so I'm going to try to wrap up a lot of the visits that have happened over the last couple of weeks in the weekly recruiting wrap up tomorrow um, and then kind of look ahead. But a couple of like big notes. Um, one of the biggest 2024 targets for South Carolina is four star edge Dylan Stewart. Uh, he's out of Washington, D.C., that DMV region, which, of course, South Carolina has made some big um, you know, connections progress, to yeah. progress in over the past couple of seasons. Um, he set an official visit for June 23rd. And I want you guys to go ahead and keep June 23rd in mind because that, that weekend is going to end up being a pretty big one. Um, we'll kind of get the full list of all those as we get a little bit closer. But I can go ahead and tell you that over the summer, that's going to be one of those uh, big weekends that, that this staff has done a really good job of putting together over the past few years um, where you get a bunch of guys all on campus at the same time, they start to build those relationships. And then I think we saw in a recruitment like Nicholas Harbor, um, some of the things that I've heard about the final hours of that recruitment, which if you'll remember, was kind of flipping back and forth between Oregon and South Carolina um, to the point that the, that Beamer woke up in the middle of the night, kind of uh, concerned that he was going to go to Oregon and then, you know, between the middle of the night and him actually deciding head flip back to South Carolina. Um, but one of the key factors there I've, I've um, gathered is that uh, a lot of the connections that he had made in the 2023 class were sort of reaching out, texting him and you, you know, you're creating a little bit of that like peer pressure and not, not even peer pressure because that sounds like it's like a sales job. Even it's, I think you're literally creating that like family environment that they are always selling um, and you're creating it between the kids and recruiting classes before you even get them on campus. Um, so then there's this like community aspect, there's the group chats, there's whatever that are sort of all working uh, together for you. So June 23rd uh, should be one of those weekends. Like I said, we'll give you uh, plenty of insight on who all is going to be there, but Dylan Stewart's the, bi the biggest name so far. Um, the past few weeks has have been a, a ton of talent uh, coming through the doors. I know today the number two overall rivals recruit for the 2025 class, uh, O-lineman David Sanders, is on campus. Um, he's out of Providence Day School in Charlotte. Um, so that's that's obviously good oh, news. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Cameron Fountain is um, on campus today. That's another three-star defensive end. Um I think maybe slightly underrated at that point could see that rise uh, over the course of um, the process or whatever. Uh, and the list is so long. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to post the weekly recruiting wrap up tomorrow and I'll kind of break down who all has been here and how that's going and where South Carolina stands. Um, as far as Dylan Stewart goes, last time we talked about him, 
I kind of said it was a 1A, 1B situation with South Carolina and Georgia. I do still primarily believe that. Um, but by all accounts, he had a really good visit to Ohio State. Um, and some of the national guys think that that might have sort of swayed uh, what he's thinking. And yeah, I mean, it's going to be a marathon uh, with a recruit like that, uh, just like it was with Harbor that we talked about just a minute ago. Um, it's going to take the whole process. You're going to have to battle off the big dogs uh, in the recruiting world uh, to land a guy like that. But I think South Carolina is in as good a position as they can be uh, at the it's moment. Early and, for a 2025 yeah. prospect. Yeah. Well, I, I was talking about for, uh, oh, yeah, yeah. for Stewart, for, 20, Stewart yeah, yeah. But, but yeah, also I think they're in really good, uh, they're in really good place for David Sanders, the 2025 lineman that's already a five-star rated number two, uh, overall for all positions on rivals. So um, lots of good football recruiting stuff happening. A couple other notes on recruiting. Uh, the portal is still open and South Carolina has seen several visitors from the portal uh, over the last couple of weeks as well, including this week uh, at a position of need. You had Derek McClendon, the second who uh, is a defensive end sort of prospect out of F FSU. Uh, he's a junior. Um, hasn't played a ton, ton, but um, when he has, he's graded out pretty well on like PFF. Um, maybe not quite as high as Jordan Birch, but higher than El Gilbert Edmond. So, you know, that, he, he would be a good depth beast to add if you could. And then also this week, AJ, I'm definitely going to mess up his name. AJ Vong, Vong Fashan. That's how we're going to say it. Vong Fashan for now. Um, I can't wait to hear. Well, if. If South Carolina lands him, I can't wait to hear Todd Ellis try to say that. But um, <laughs> <laughs> no shade to you, Todd. But uh, anyway, uh, yeah, so that's a senior linebacker out of Utah State. Uh, he'd be a grad transfer. He's got a good size, 6'2", 230. Um, and he had over 100 total tackles in 2022, uh, along with two sacks, which um, you think about that linebacker room, it's deeper than it was last year, but also a lot younger. So bringing in someone that's got four years of uh, college football experience. That would be a good move, I think. Um, and and the staff has talked about how they want to add at least one more linebacker in the portal. Um, we're also expecting them to still uh, be beating the bushes for a running back. Um, and I'm sure some more defensive ends as well uh, wouldn't hurt. So we'll keep you in the loop on all that. Um, men's, men's basketball also has a transfer portal going on right now. They just landed their second piece uh, this past week in Citadel uh, forward Stephen Clark. Um, he averaged, I believe, like 16 points a game for the Citadel last year. Um, I'm doing this off the top of my head right now. Sorry. But um, but anyway, good ad, I think. Uh, kind of the uh, Hayden Brown sort of role uh, once again, although I would say he's a little bit more of a finesse player and less of a like banger in the way that Hayden Brown was. Um, but he, he can, he can score from pretty much all over the floor, which is, uh, the sort of guy that Paris seems to like, especially in that forward position. So, um, Create your own shots kind of thing too, was something this exactly. offense didn't have a ton of last year. Right. So, uh, so that's the second portal edition so far. You got Talon Cooper, who we talked about last week as well. Um, and then they're still in it for several other guys. So you got the Wofford, um, guy, BJ Mack, BJ Mack. Um, they're still battling with Arkansas, Georgia. I mean, Arkansas, LSU, um, Alabama, Iowa for him. 
So that's going to be a tough one. And then there was someone else that literally just put him in their top five. Yeah, from today. Temple Reynolds. Yeah, Jamil Reynolds. Yep. He's got Cincinnati, um, Kansas. That's going to be tough to beat. But Cincinnati, Kansas, Mississippi State, UCF, along with South Carolina in his top five that he tweeted, I guess, yesterday now. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like, um, I've seen a lot of people kind of panning these mid-major guys that South Carolina seems to be going after. But look at who else is going after them. Um, just because they're a mid-major player, if you're one of the top mid-major players, you probably – developed a little late or got overlooked uh, in the recruiting process or whatever. Um, but these pretty much all of these guys, I think deserve a spot on a power five roster. Two mid majors just made the final four people like not even a week ago now. <laughs> right. Um, so yeah, I, I have seen a little bit of that whenever these first few announcements and, and portal targets have come out. But um, I, I, I think that the roster construction is starting to at least make a lot more sense from a blueprint uh, perspective than it did last year around this time when he was sort of, I would say, grasping his straws a little bit more. I mean, he needed bodies last year. Right. Exactly. That was the main thing, which they, to be fair, they still do need some more bodies this year, considering the attrition and the fact there's only two players in this recruiting class right now. But right. he's not done yet. But that's that's a pretty good first two, I would say, between Clark and Cooper. Yeah, and I do get it. You haven't had the splashy name yet. I don't know if you're necessarily going to get the splashy name. Um, but the more I've talked to uh, Perry McCarty, who covers a lot of our basketball stuff on GamecockScoop.com, um, he's feeling pretty good about most of the variety uh, of players. I think you feel much better if you get BJ Mack, who I think is yes. legitimately going to start uh, for any of those schools. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll see how that all goes as it continues to play out. Um, it also won't surprise me. Oh, my fire alarm's going off. Um, it also won't surprise me if uh, women's basketball gets a couple out of the portal, but the, the news on those are a little bit harder to come by, but obviously we'll pass along anything that we hear on that as well. I'm going to mute myself real quick while this is going off and let you talk a little about the spring scrimmage last Saturday. I know uh, you, you tried to piece together for an article on our site what happened and what some of the highlights of that were yeah so south carolina did have a their first scrimmage last week it's a behind closed door scrimmage beamer i think he mentioned it in presser last tuesday going into last saturday they were going to play a scrimmage um he said they got about 115 plays off um and out of those 115 plays what we know is there was only one turnover that was something shane beamer said he said it was an interception um we kind of got a little bit more of a look at Dowell Loggins and his offense. He said they got a lot of situational work in. Um, we've seen a little bit of the depth start between that and the practices. Um, can go into that a little bit more. Um, it's a scrimmage. It's not even the main scrimmage of the spring. Obviously, the the Garnet and Black game is, a, what I guess, nine days away. But, yeah, it's – some stuff you can take from there. I think the turnover piece is interesting too. And I guess, I don't know. It's tough to take a lot, but he did. I'm looking at the quote now. He did like the young guys. He was said he, he thinks they all flashed kind of their moments. And we've heard, I've heard the word belonging a lot, both from Shane Beamer and today, Monterio Hardesty, the running backs coach is talking about how Mario Anderson belongs. He doesn't look like a D2 kid. Beamer's used that word, too, with a lot of his freshmen. He's talked about 
Desmond Umizulu and Pop Howard and Lenora Sellers, who I don't think is going to play much, but that all these guys belong. They don't look at a place. They feel like they're where they should be. It's not obvious they're freshmen, I guess. That's kind of my big takeaway from both what uh, Hardesty said today about one of his transfer additions and what Beamer's been saying about the freshmen. Yeah, I mean, and you're going to have to rely on several of those guys, so I hope they belong. <laughs> Marky um, Anderson, too, is another guy we've been hearing about a lot. He's getting some. He's running with the twos right now with the offensive line, at least in the portions of open practice we've gotten to watch. Yeah, it sounds like it's going to be um, that he's the the true freshman that's most likely on the O line to kind of step in, uh, maybe not to a starter role, but to some of the the rotation. Um, and then, yeah, like you mentioned, Umio Zulu is definitely going to be relied upon on the edge. Um, I wonder if you could talk a little bit more about the edge. I know that that Beamer and and Lucas, who you guys talked to a little bit today, um, spoke on it a little bit this week, but it also seems like they're a little bit uh, tired of answering questions about the depth. Yeah, I think they are, but also I think the questions are fair. I mean, you look at kind of the I understand Jordan Strawn's out right now. They are expecting him to be full go for the season. You don't know, I don't know why he wouldn't be at this point. Um, but even around him, yeah, it's true. They lost Gilbert Edmund, they lost Jordan Birch. That room is thin right now. Um, guys you mentioned today were Brian Thomas Jr. Uh, Terrell Dawkins, we know is healthy now. We had him in the, at the podium a couple weeks ago. Desmond Umiazulu, who we just mentioned. Um, and then I guess that's kind of what you're looking at now. I guess, um, oh, geez, I'm blanking somebody here. Tyree Johnson, that's another yeah. guy that I think is going to end up having a pretty big role on this team come the fall. Um, I don't know if you feel great about that room. I feel like you're kind of putting a lot of chips on Strawn staying healthy Umizulu being ready as a freshman and Dawkins staying healthy, right? You're kind of pushing a lot into that. And those are all three question marks that could break right for you. But if they don't, or if two out of three don't, you're, you're, you are, you're very thin there. I mean, they've got Donovan Westmoreland who's a linebacker working at edge. It kind of answers the question for you, doesn't it? About how they feel about the depth. Yeah, which um, there was also the idea that maybe he would develop into an edge player, but um I still think he's probably a little undersized for being an every down guy with his hand in the dirt. So uh, probably not the most ideal at this point in his career uh, to be relied upon in that role. Um, but yeah, maybe you land like McClendon out of the portal or um, someone else that we haven't seen hit the portal yet because there'll be another wave after spring practice here. So May 1st um, through the 15th is your target dates. Um, now another thing that's been an ongoing storyline this spring is the new offensive coordinator, Dowell Loggins. We talked a lot, uh, prior to spring when all that process was going on that, um, he wasn't the like sexiest name, I guess, uh, that Beamer could have gotten, but that Beamer felt pretty confident about, uh, that choice. And then I, th I feel like we've heard a lot of the other assistants and, some of the players sort of mirror a lot of that. What are you hearing about Loggins and him instituting his new offense this spring? Yeah, actually, I asked today, I asked um, Monterio Hardesty about how that kind of meshes with the running game. And he was saying how much he likes how multiple Dowell Loggins is, how many different – I mean, you guys can watch the clip back, the press review. He listed a few different kinds of schemes, a few different types of running backs that Dowell Loggins has worked with. And I guess when you put it back together, and this was something Hardesty said today, Arkansas ran the ball really well the last two years. That was a run-first identity team. A lot of that is Sam Pittman and what he does too. Um, 
But this is a guy who does – it's tough because I do think he wants to run the ball, but also you look at the personnel on this roster, Rattler, Juice, his guy Trey Knox coming over, Josh Simon, Leggett, et cetera. I think there's going to be a good balance to this offense. I really do. Uh, it's one of those things you're not going to be able to know for sure or see until, I guess, September 1st. But I think there's a – I, I don't think it's going to take as long for them to find an identity as people think is kind of more what I'm getting at here. Now, whether what that looks like with execution or if his play calling sequences are rickety, kind of some of the Marcus Satterfield stuff, that's different. Um, but I think in terms of what they want to do and how he wants to go about it, I don't think that's going to be as much of a transition as people think. It just has to translate to points, obviously. Yeah, I do think to some degree when you get to this level, right, it's not like like everyone's scheme could work theoretically sure. um but a lot of what i think south carolina fans will be looking for in the spring game and then obviously uh as we get into the season is whether or not he has that feel uh for in-game play calling which it felt like satterfield struggled with at times until the end yeah. of the season when the whole effort mentality or whatever yeah. uh took right out the window yeah um which yeah, I'm sure a lot of South Carolina fans will also be watching some Nebraska games this coming year to see if some the curiosity there. has uh, continued or if maybe there was something else going on there. Um, any other spring football notes? Obviously, next week we're going to talk a lot more about the spring game, sort of some of the things that we're looking for uh, in that, and we'll have another week of practice to look at. But Yeah, that's about what I have on spring football. I mean, you've got, I guess, just a couple injury notes. We know that Marcellus Dial and Peyton Williams are a little bit banged up. They weren't at the open portion of practice on, I think, Tuesday. We were out there for six periods. Neither one's supposed to be long-term. Ja'Kai Moore is out with a family issue right now, according to Beamer. Obviously, best wishes to him. He was not at practice either. We don't know what his status is for the rest of spring, but obviously, family comes first. He's not in Columbia right now, as far as we know. Um, I think that about covers it on the injury front. Um, yeah, there's um, there's next week. Spring game is next Saturday. We have two more open practice viewing periods, I think five periods on Tuesday and Friday. And then there's Beamer and coordinators and players next week in the run-up to next Saturday night, which is a primetime spring game again. Yeah, I'm actually really uh, looking forward to checking that out. We will have some live updates from that and some, some quick analysis. And then obviously we'll – hop on that next week, the podcast, and talk some more there. But uh, in the meantime, if you want more content uh, between our weekly podcast right now, which in the season we'll have a couple more, but still, um, go to GameCockScoop.com. There's three to five articles posted pretty much every day, um, just solely focused on South Carolina. Um, Let's get into the other major story since we last talked, probably the most major story since we last talked, uh, which is the women's basketball team falling early uh, in Dallas last week. Um, So they fell to Iowa. Uh, Caitlin Clark went off for 40 plus, like you said that she would need to do. Um, There was, you know, a little bit of commentary on whether or not she was disrespectful during that game and then whether or not Angel Reese was disrespectful to her after that. I don't think any of that commentary matters that much, nor do I think you even talk about it if it's like a men's basketball game. So I don't want to really go too far into nope, that. But. I don't really care if you win, you celebrate. If you lose, you don't. That's yep. pretty much my philosophy on anything. Um, um, but yeah, so South Carolina lost. You were there. What were some of your takeaways from that game? Was that like a one in 10 sort of situation? Is that a 
50-50 situation. Like, obviously, we saw LSU beat Iowa um, a couple nights later, and South Carolina took care of LSU pretty easily yeah. and handily in the in the regular season. So what do you think happened there? It's what I wrote. Uh, it's just a missed opportunity. That's really – that. I mean, that one's going to hurt for a while if you're South Carolina. It should. Um, it's a four-point loss. Caitlin Clark, she scored 41, and as someone else pointed out to me, if she had scored 35, that's still an amazing game like a historic game for a final four and South Carolina wins. They lost by four. Um, just kind of a lot of the wrong factors, at the wrong time. I think you had Clark hitting basically every big shot. Seemingly Aliyah Boston picked up a questionable second foul late in the first quarter. I do think Dawn kind of fouled her out of the game herself though. I think obviously Dawn's a great in-game coach, but Aliyah Boston probably did not need to sit for an entire quarter of a final four game. That's just one of those players you trust to not pick up a third foul. Um, so I thought that, Dawn kind of overplayed her hand a little bit there, maybe overthought it. Um, but look, they were 16 for 61 on jump shots, and that'll get you beat no matter who you're playing. You just can't shoot like that. That's it's not, it's not WNBA. It's not the NBA. It's not a best of five. It's not a best of seven. It's one game. And if you shoot 16 for 61 from the floor on jumpers, you're probably not going to win. And the ball just wasn't going in. It was at the other end. I thought that sequence late in the fourth quarter where they were still in it, they turned it over three straight times. was just a killer. I mean, you get a bucket, even one of those possessions, you're within two. Maybe it's different late. Um, I can't say South Carolina deserved a win, but I do think if they played a seven-game series, they might. But it's one game. Caitlin Clark was incredible. It was a great game to be at, a great atmosphere. Um, I think it's good for women's basketball to have a game like that. You know, the, the viewership numbers spiked like over 100% from last year. Um but that is a really tough pill to swallow for South Carolina to lose like that. No, definitely. I mean, pretty much, you know, you finish number one overall in 2020 in the COVID shortened season. Uh, you win the national championship last year and have the opportunity to get basically three uh, for the, the freshies um, and stumbled. I mean, you're undefeated completely uh, up until the final four uh, best record you know, smashed all these other records, um, but didn't get it done in the end. And in the end, that's the thing that's going to kind of linger, I think, on this. If you're looking ahead, I mean, South Carolina kind of uh, solves the deficiency that they showed in the Final Four with Malaysia Fulwiley, who's, yeah. you know, the best scorer immediately will step in and probably be the best scorer on the team. Um, I mean, you know, what? there's going to be a step up from high school to college, but go watch her film if you guys haven't. She can shoot. She crazy. can shoot. Yeah. Um, um, but obviously you have, um, which you, you can get into this here in just a second, but you have several leaving for the WNBA. You're going to have to rebuild a little, uh, maybe through the portal and um, with, you know, the depth that you had, which is, you know, better than anyone else in the country. But yeah, what do you see as kind of the next steps for this program as this historic group moves on? So, yeah, you've got 10 scholarship players right now. You've got seven players coming back from this year's team. You've got three in this recruiting class, uh, Full Wiley, Tessa Johnson, and Sonia Ja, I think is how you say your name. Um, I think you have a good foundation in place, obviously. Raven Johnson can run the point. She should be your starter there next year. Cardoso was basically a sixth player, a starter, playing starter minutes all of last year. She's back. Bree Hall's back. Sanaya Fagan's back. You'll get a full year of Chloe Kitts and another off a full offseason development. Like, you kind of have a lot of what you need there. 
I would be almost positive there's going to be some portaling just because I don't think you want to go into a season with 10 scholarship players. Um, you had 14 this year. I don't know if they're going to get that high again. Dawn doesn't like to push right up on the limit. She's usually kind of in that 12, 13-ish range. But I think the main point is she can kind of – she has a lot of flexibility. It's not – they're not up against the roster limit. It's kind of similar to Lamont, honestly, with how much he lost. Obviously, a very different circumstance what he lost versus what Dawn's losing. But – Lamont can kind of be choosy, go after what he wants, figure out what fits in the portal because he's got the open scholarships, and Dawn's going to have the same thing um, and obviously going to be selling a much more built-up, established program than what Lamont is. But keep an eye on the portal, more so the type of player they try to portal and how that might fit because they only got one in the portal last year and ended up being a full season starter in Kiera Fletcher. So whoever they choose, it's going to be careful. It's going to be someone they think obviously can – it's kind of like win now for a pro team, right? You talk about an NFL team going all in at the trade deadline or whatever, trading draft picks. It's kind of that where anybody you're looking to bring in the portal, someone that can make an immediate impact that can help you get back to a final four and complete it. Yeah. I mean, you're definitely more of like, if you want those of you that don't necessarily watch a ton of women's basketball, if you want a football analogy, you're the, you're the Alabama right now of women's basketball, right? So uh, you don't have to go and like fill every every spot in the transfer portal. You recruited it very well. Um, you have tons of McDonald's all all Americans still on the roster. Um, but if you can go pick up a Jameer Gibbs, you might go pick up a Jameer Gibbs. You know, I would uh, expect something like that. At least one. I don't think they're going to go to season with just. I don't think you want ten players total and three of them freshmen on your roster next year. Yeah, definitely. So, um, and I'm definitely excited to see Full Wiley uh, yeah. once she gets on campus and. Yeah, it's really it is too bad that they came up short here. Um, obviously, still an incredible achievement uh, to make it as far as that they did. Uh, there's very few Final Fours at all in the in program history, men, women, whatever. Obviously, um, but once you get to this level, obviously you also start to get judged on a slightly sure. different curve. Um, and they came up short on this one for sure. Yeah. It's just, it's going to hurt. It's going to sting. It's, I wrote about being kind of a missed opportunity, even for such a great team. That's kind of what it is. It's, uh, it's four points. They lost a four point game to one of the best players in the country. And that's, that's tough. But, but nothing they can do about it now. And I'm sure it's going to be interesting offseason. Stay on Gamecock Scoop for all the portal updates. And speaking of highly ranked teams and LSU, there is quite a big baseball series at Founders Park this weekend, or as much as the rain will allow. Yeah, so a lot of what Gamecock Scoop is going to become over the next few months will be baseball-centric and off-season football topics and all that sort of thing. Um, and yeah, now that everything's finished, we can fully focus on baseball. And what a great time to fully focus on baseball with the number one team in the country coming in to town this weekend uh, to kick off really a really brutal, I believe you called it, gauntlet um, over the next several weeks. Um, you guys got to talk a little bit to the team about uh, how daunting they feel about that gauntlet. Also, before we get too deep into LSU, it, we should note that the weather is going to play a factor this weekend, almost certainly. Um, should get in the game tonight. Tomorrow will be touch and go. And then Saturday, we already got an update that the Carolina Invitational or whatever. The track meet's already been canceled. The track yeah. meet is canceled. So just to give you an idea of <laughs> uh, what the weather's looking like and how hopeful folks are feeling about uh, getting that game in on Saturday. So we'll uh, obviously update you guys as we get more info on 
all of that. But it wouldn't surprise me if they don't get all three in or they somehow have to reschedule or move things around, whatever. But anyway, you're going to get to test your medal against the number one team in the country for at least a game or two. Um, how are, how's the team feeling about this challenge? I, I know I saw, I believe it was Jerzenbeck said yep. LSU, LSU has to play us. Right? I was going to read that quote. Now, that's actually my question. Jerzenbeck, first of all, Big midweek win. I wouldn't gloss over that first. You played a top 15 team in a neutral field and you shut them out. Five nothing. It was um, Becker three innings, Jerzenbeck two, three innings, shut out. And then Nick Proctor, Eli Jones, and Kate Austin each for an inning to shut it out. So that's a big one there for your resume, for your RPI. I wouldn't gloss over that. But after that game, you know, we had Jerzenbeck post game, asked about LSU. He says, quote, of course, it's a great opportunity, but they're facing South Carolina. It's not us facing LSU. They're coming in and facing us. I'm ready for it, and it's going to be a fun ride. And then Mark Kingston, who we had yesterday in a press conference, echoed that same thing. He said, quote, asked about Jerson Beck's answer. I think his answer reflected that we're a confident team, and we should be. When you win 27 of your first 30 games, you should be confident. They're good. We're good. Let's go play. Yeah. And so you come in as the number six uh, rated team by D1 Baseball and LSU number one. Um, all you know of the college baseball world will have their eyes on whatever games get played this weekend, at least. When was the last time um, that happened? Just like take that for a second. That the college baseball world's on Columbia. Just take that for a second before you even get into the games. Like, yeah, it's been a minute. Um, I expect F Founders Park to be rocking you should yeah, have a good time it's gonna be a great atmosphere tonight <laughs> um also how was the charlotte crowd good it was about 50 50 from where i could see but it was a good i don't remember i think the attendance was over six thousand. that's um that's a nice i think they do that every year that's a good midweek just yeah. get one big one in there it's about neutral site and they you know they were pumping up the the football game too they had the dukes mayo people there and uh because it's the same thing it's those two teams in the football stadium across the street yeah. labor Day weekend yeah, which is, I mean, that's going to be a great first test for all the things that we've been talking about there, too. Um, one thing I did really quickly gloss over, uh, South Carolina won two of three uh, in Starkville last weekend, too. Um, looked pretty good, but Noah Hall, who's been pretty much perfect throughout this year, definitely struggled, uh, and they lost. Uh, they got run ruled in that game, the game two. Um, but otherwise, you know, took care of business. Sometimes you're going to have off nights, freak things happen, whatever. Uh, tonight is going to be tough. <laughs> Paul um, Steens is coming into Columbia. Yeah. So facing, I, we talked about it a little bit before the podcast, pretty much the best pitcher in the country. I mean, statistically, uh, eye test, whatever. Um, if he's not, he's easily in the top five. Uh, I think Mark Hicks had the perfect quote about LSU's ace, uh, Paul Skeens. He just said that if you could design a pitcher in a lab, it would be him. Yeah. Um, and, of course, South Carolina has their own uh, ace, Will Sanders, pitching tonight, who just really – we've talked about it several times. He hasn't quite looked like himself yet this year. Uh, tonight would be a good time to uh, kick that in because I think runs are going to be hard to come by. Yeah, he did get the mental reset, the whatever you want to call it. We didn't talk about it yet, but he did not pitch in Starkville last week, and they gave him the weekend off. They Was it Eli Jones who started in his place last week, that Thursday game? I was in Dallas. But, yeah, so we'll see if a week off does him some good, clears his head, shakes it off. And he has always been a pitch better in the bigger game spot. You remember in Hoover last year against Florida, how great he was in that game. 
even though they ended up losing. Um, maybe he meets the moment tonight, but also this is, I mean, Paul Skeen's, the numbers kind of speak for themselves. This is going to be a game, you're right, one run, two runs. That might be enough for LSU. He hasn't given up more than one run in any start this year, Skeen. So if you're going to have a chance tonight, Sanders is going to have to be the absolute best version of himself. And we haven't seen that yet this season. But if a week off helped him, who knows? Yeah, I mean, this is one of those things offensively where if you are facing a superior opponent, which, you know, it's arguable whether or not LSU is superior, but I would I would say they're the betting favorite to win the series, right? Um, that the home run to strikeout ratio might play into your advantage a little bit just in the sense that it gives you a puncher's chance, right? Um, so you're going against one of the best pitchers uh, in the country, but... It only takes one shot, uh, and pretty much everyone on the roster has the ability to send one out. Um, so I, I do think in a series where runs are going to be tough to come by, um, you know, maybe some of the the heroes we've seen thus far the season, Petri, Cassis, um, Wimmer, uh, you might see one of those guys. Paul Skeens has faced 160 batters this year in 44 innings. How many home runs has he allowed? Do you know off the top of your head? Uh, like three, zero. Wow, <laughs> that's impressive. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we'll see what that's gonna be fun tonight. Um, but we'll see what happens. And honestly, it's this three, it's this three week stretch, right? I, I wrote about it yesterday. I would encourage you guys to check it out. But it's LSU, it's Vanderbilt, it's Florida, three weeks in a row. Maybe you don't get all nine of those games in looking at the weather, but you go four and four in those eight, three and four in those seven, whatever rain allows you to play. I think you're, that validates a lot of what you're seeing so or what you've seen so far. Yeah, I think if you go, what, 45% of those as wins, or I'm not good at math to get it perfectly, but uh, yeah, I think four and five or four and four, three and four, whatever uh, amount of games get in, I think you feel pretty good uh, about where you stand. Um, you pretty much, if you can go... 500 in the sec the rest of the way you're you're in i think you're hosting um, I think, yeah. at that point i mean yeah but um obviously there's still the upside to do even better than that and finish as one of the top couple of teams in the sec and uh potentially be a national seed and all those things yeah and i think it's it's a comment it's a better conversation for after this stretch but I, I definitely do think now that you've got you've got eight sec wins in the bank already you've got 21 more games scheduled. We'll see if 21 actually get played. But, yeah, you're right. If you go – let's say they get one game bang this weekend. You have 20 SEC games. You go 10 and 10 from here. I mean, that puts you at 18 and 11 in the league. That's probably hosting. You're talking about maybe a national seed. Um, they've done a lot of the work already. I wouldn't – maybe I shouldn't say that. They put a lot of wins in the bank already. Um, yeah, it's, it's tough. The schedule is pretty weird because I still think, even though they have put up a ton of wins and, and they deserve a lot of credit for that. Um, there are plenty of teams every week that are losing to inferior midweek opponents. South Carolina has only done that once, um, but they really still haven't been tested that much. <laughs> um, so this, uh, this stretch will really prove whether or not they belong or whether or not they're a little bit of a paper tiger, I guess. Yeah. Um, I think this team's ready for it. I think the pitching depth is going to really come into play. Maybe not this weekend if you don't get all three games in, but really when you go to Vanderbilt, when Florida comes here and you can just keep throwing guys out on on Saturday, on Sunday, it's going to be good. Um, this is kind of what you want, right? What you've not had here in a long time. Um, 
full ballparks, big games, television. This is kind of what I think a lot of people think South Carolina baseball is supposed to be. And even if it's just for three weeks, um, enjoy it because you haven't had it in a while. Yeah, and I think something that maybe doesn't get talked about enough um, in this down stretch uh, of Gamecock baseball that seemingly they're coming out of to whatever degree. Um, the SEC's gotten a lot better since they were a decade ago. Um, so, you know, even if you are reaching that level, uh, it's not going to look the same as it did uh, in 2010, 2011 or whatever. You just have a lot more yeah. competition across the league rather than just like one or two teams that's competing with you. Yep. And that set comes with LSU tonight. That comes with Vanderbilt. That's Florida. You're going to get Arkansas and Tennessee later in the year. Um, I don't know. It's, it's time. Like took care of business, Georgia, Missouri, Mississippi state. I don't think anybody thinks those three teams are national title contenders. It's time. And we're going to see what happens tonight against Paul Skeens. And you talk about, Facing not just a pitcher, a better one they've seen this year, the best pitcher in America. And if this lineup can do anything against him, I think you feel great going into the rest of the weekend, the rest of the season, and kind of your big picture 2023 South Carolina baseball. Oh, definitely. If you somehow uh, steal a win tonight, then you're feeling <laughs> on top of the world. So. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you you have an argument to be in that top one or two spots i think especially if they don't get all the games in this weekend uh when sure. the polls come out next week but but that's a big but um so uh check out gamecocksgroup.com tonight during the game alan will be there on site uh with some live updates uh some post-game analysis and we'll be back here next week to break down what happened to preview the spring football game to preview another baseball series um and yeah really getting into the fun part of the year i think not just sports wise, but this is just a great time of year to be alive, right? <laughs> the yeah. uh, the birds are chirping, the sun's out. Uh, there's some rough weather coming in this weekend, I guess, but uh, for the most part, it's it's good times. Especially going to say everyone's excited about Augusta too, and you know Columbia is not that far from the from Augusta. That rains that's going to hit South Carolina baseball is probably going to hit the golf too, but we'll see what happens. That's true. I didn't even uh, think about it being Masters weekend, but yeah, what a great weekend to be chilling, watching uh, some some sports. Everything, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, all right, until next time, this has been the GamecockScoop.com podcast. Make sure you like and subscribe uh, so that you get alerts whenever we go live, usually on Thursdays, and uh, we'll see you next time. Bye.